Well, welcome to this Christmas edition of King Speak. Uh, inviting you into my living room here in Monument, Colorado. I just uh, wanted to share a little bit from my heart and invite you possibly this year into maybe viewing Christmas a little differently from a kingdom perspective, because that's what we want to do at King Speak, right? So don't want to take anything away from the, uh, you know, the old traditions and the baby in the manger and, and uh, all of those things that we, that we hold near and dear around Christmas time, but perhaps maybe just get more of a kingdom focus and I love to go back through the old Christmas hymns that are familiar to us all. And some of those just had some fantastic, really, kingdom theology in them. And so starting with joy to the world, you know, um, obviously it speaks of the personal Savior. And that's, you know, that's the gospel we're so familiar with. He came to, you know, pay the price so that our sins could be forgiven. And, and, the, and that song says, you know, let every heart prepare him room. And it's a very individual thing at that level, very intimate thing. but. It also says, let earth receive her king. And the rest of that song just has, has set, such uh, great kingdom expressions in it. But, you know, there's the, the, prophecy, the prophecies of old that foretold the coming of Jesus really spoke more of him coming as a king, coming as a sovereign. And, uh, you know, the most familiar probably is the Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 passage. And that's where we have, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It says the government would rest upon his shoulders, and it goes on to talk about this this kingdom that would be that he would sit on on King David's throne and would establish it in in righteousness and justice. And it says of the increase of his government on earth and his peace on earth, there would be no end. And and uh, I think we've 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 lost track of that a little bit in the in the hyper focus on the individual salvation aspect of. The coming of Christ. You know, then there's the uh, Daniel chapter two, one of my favorite uh, places to go to kind of get this overview again of the kingdom. And, and that's where Nebuchadnezzar has the has the uh, the dream of the statue. And and you can go look at that. But uh, the the angel interprets for Daniel what that with the stone cut not with human hands, it came crashing into planet Earth and it hit that statue. And it speaks of of this small stone crushing and putting an end to every other kingdom, but itself becoming a mountain that fills the earth. And the, inter- the interpretation given to us in that scripture is that in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed or given to another people. So I just like to think about Christmas in a different light in, in recent years, that it's, it, it was really regime change on the earth. It was, it was really the beginning of a, of a tremendous turnaround uh, that, that that began with this first advent of Jesus. And of course, that entails not just his birth and in the manger, but but his, you know, his growing up and then ultimately paying the price, dying on the cross and, and resurrecting from the dead. And, you know, this was the crowning moment. This was the regime change moment where he said, all authority now on earth is mine. And this, this new kingdom now that he begins planting in the earth. And we're 2,000 years on the other side of that. And it's just been growing and increasing ever since. So I like to think of that, you know, uh, when the, the shepherds were out in the field and, you know, first one angel shows up and makes the announcement and says, you know, that this, there's, there's great news coming and, and of great joy, this will be for all people. And, and then it's the, the, the heavens open up and it says a multitude of the angelic host. In fact, it says an army of angels were declaring with a loud voice. It was a proclamation, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Uh, he declared, 
I, I like to see it as like this just fiery stake coming down into the earth saying, now everything that darkness has has had its way with begins to reverse because of this, this stone cutting out with human hands that came crashing into planet Earth and into humanity. And it, it was the great turnaround story began there, the great comeback for for planet Earth and, and with, with this the coming of this child. And, you know, it just it, it humors me sometimes. It's cute, but usually when we have these you know, these remakes of these Christmas songs and you have the, that that angelic proclamation, it's usually like children's voices singing, you know, glory to God in the high, you know. And it was really a thunderous, you know, angelic host making this proclamation. And, uh, you know, again, that's just getting a, a little bit more of a kingdom perspective on what really happened with the advent of this one that came in under the radar as a babe. So, um, you know, this this fact that he was coming to be a king, not just a savior, uh, it wasn't lost on, you know, kingly people of the day. I mean, significant people. For instance, we have the, you know, the three magi or the three wise men, they're called sometimes. We three kings are actually believed in. You know, there's still some debate over who these individuals actually were, but they, they came from a long distance following astrology, basically, to come see and, and worship this, not this religious figure, but to come worship this king. And they brought a kingly gift of gold and, of course, frankincense and myrrh. And, and it was a big deal. I mean, it was a, a major disruption in the life of these significant people that they dropped what they were doing. This wasn't like a you know, sandals all-inclusive resort trip. This was a this was a cross-country trip to go see who this king was. That whatever their sources were, the indication was there was this new ruler coming. And, and of course, you know the story. Herod, you know, Herod bumped into these guys and asked them where they were going. And they said, "Well, we're going to worship this. We're going to find this this coming king." And that kind of raised uh, Herod's uh, feathers a little bit, you know. Now, if they had said, you know, we're coming to find a savior so he will forgive us of our sins, Herod probably would have said, great, go. And while you're there, ask him to forgive my sins too. Who knows? But the fact that it was a king that they were going to find, this this actually threatened Herod. Herod, as you know, this was a serious deal for him to the point where he had every male child two years and younger was was murdered because of this guy's fear of there being another person that would have a claim to being a ruler or in a position of authority or leadership. You know, the early church wasn't persecuted for preaching that Jesus Christ is the Savior who forgives sins. They were persecuted because their declaration was that Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord is, in the Greek, is kyrios. And it's the same word that was was ascribed to Caesar in the Roman Empire. They had a decree and an an oath that they had to take that said Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Curios. And that was a direct threat, that was a direct challenge and and considered treasonous for this group, this cult, these followers of the way to call Jesus their Lord. So then the next aspect I'd like to talk about a little bit is, you know, this light that came into the world. You know, um, I had a uh, probably four or five years ago uh, when when this this kingdom message was just, I mean, the Lord just was leading me into this. And I, it was kind of like I just got caught up into this this search of scripture and, and of theologians regarding 
the kingdom of God and what it really means in real terms on the earth. And, and, I, and I can remember one morning, two or three in the morning, I, I woke up and this question was, was being posed to me, I believe, by, by the Spirit. And it was, if you believe that the light has come into the world, then how could you also believe that the earth would ever be covered with darkness and gross darkness to people? And I knew right away the reason for that question was, uh, you know, there was there, there's kind of a, uh, a popular teaching maybe going around uh, in the church, and, 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 it, and it's pulling from Isaiah 60, where it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For, for behold, darkness covers the earth, and gross darkness the people. And, it, and it's preached in a current context as something like this. It says, as, as the world grows darker and darker, the church, or some would say the remnant church, will, will, be, will shine brighter and brighter and be this more glorious expression of the body of Christ on earth. And, and you know, I've preached that. I've, I've, I've bought that. I've kind of felt like that. Yeah, that's a good model as we look around and seemingly things are getting darker and darker. But as soon as I heard that question, what makes you think? Since if the light has come into the world, that darkness could ever, basically darkness could ever win. And immediately there was a connect the dots in my, in my spirit, in my heart, of all these scriptures that, that uh, came together in a, in a moment, it seemed like. For instance, the, you know, John chapter 1, where it talks about Jesus coming into the earth. It says, this light is coming into the world. It said, the light has come into the world, and the darkness could not or cannot overwhelm it or overthrow it. And so... Uh, you know, there we have a picture that's obvious to all of us. If you go into a dark room and flip on the light, there's really no struggle. Light wins every time. Darkness can only exist when light is not present. So again, if the light has come into the world, how could darkness overtake the whole earth? Then there's um, there's the other one that came to mind out of Isaiah, you know, also chapter 9, where it says, you know, speaking of, you know, prophesying of the advent of Jesus, it said, the people walking in darkness have beheld a great light. And again, it's, you know, earth was covered with darkness before the Messiah, before the light of the world came into the world. And so uh, it, it, it just sent me on a, on a search. And I started uh, looking at Isaiah 60 a little bit differently, like maybe Isaiah 60 really had more to do with the first advent of Jesus. And where it says, he's, he's prophesying to Israel, arise, shine, for your light has come. Jesus was the light of Israel. He came to Israel. He's, he, he was the Holy One of Israel. And, and, and that chapter goes on to talk about the kings of the earth and the heathen and the Gentiles coming into and bringing their wealth, bringing their jurisdiction, so to speak, into this Israel reality, which, which we have been grafted into as Gentiles. And, and it, just, it, 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 it just lit me up. <laughs> Pardon the pun there, but to think about that—that that, yeah, this this light has been ever increasing since Jesus came to this planet, and and I think just a little kiss from the Lord was—I can't remember what year that was, but but I my wife and I went to a presentation of Handel's Messiah, and it was just beautiful, and and I did some study on Handel's Messiah, and you know that was written as a chronological piece in, in three parts basically. And when I heard the, the, you know, where they sing the part about the people walking in darkness have beheld a great light, and then it talks, says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And it's, it's taking these very scriptures that I mentioned, but it's placing them right at the point of 
for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. So I felt like, hey, I'm in pretty good company at the handle. And I think that was the, the, the popular eschatology of the time was that that indeed was talking about the first advent of Jesus when the light came into the world. Another one of my favorite old Christmas hymns is Oh Holy Night. It's beautiful to sing, but again, some of the lyrics are are, uh, are just mind-boggling. And I love the phrase that this would be the title for this section called All Oppression Shall Cease. And, uh, you know, it's that the, the writer of Oh Holy Night was a, a French winemaker. And um, when he, he, he wrote this as a, his parish priest asked him to write a poem about Christmas. And actually this became a, a you know, a Christmas, a, a Christmas song as we know. But there's a, there's a verse in there that says, you know, chains shall he break for the slave is my brother. And in his name, in, in this little child's name, in Jesus' name, all oppression shall cease. He actually believed that the implications of what happened on that O Holy Night, that child being born, the implications of the gospel that he brought would actually result in real oppression on the real earth, all of it ceasing, including what, you know, maybe a hot topic in his day was slavery. And, and he recognized there that this gospel has implications for setting slaves on the earth free and, and uh, as we know, that, that, that went on to happen. Now, William Wilberforce, who lived in the 17, late 1700s into the early 1800s, we're all probably familiar with his story. The movie recently made called Amazing Grace was about his life. But in, in, in the seventh, late 1700s, he, he became this uh, prominent figure in the abolition of, of the slave trade in, in England and then, and then the uh, slavery itself throughout the British colonies. Uh, he obviously uh, carried the same conviction that that this gospel, that, that this message, that this king, this child born, came to bring, had had implications in, in the actual culture, in the, in the social justice structure of the day. So, uh, you know, if if Wilberforce had been uh, had had come to the planet, let's say in our day and age, where we're you know. For the most part, the church is heavily steeped in this dispensationalism. We've reduced the gospel to, to, to one of personal salvation rather than cultural transformation. You know, Wilberforce might have, he, he might have seen the slaves and said, I got to go preach the gospel of salvation to them so that while they're suffering in their chains, at least they'll know they have eternal life and peace on the inside. And when they die, they get to go to heaven. And now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the new birth is wonderful. And, and it's very true that even if you're in prison, the, the gospel that saves the human soul is, is wonderful. I mean, that's got to be the starting point. But, the, but, he, but he had a kingdom gospel mentality that said, no, all oppression shall cease. He, he kind of had the same theology that, that uh, the winemaker did with O Holy Night. So he gave the rest of his life to, to uh, pursuing and working for the, uh, the, the abolition of slavery. You know, it, it makes me think of in, in our current day, there's debate within the church of, you know, should the church be involved in politics? I'm really glad William Wilberforce felt like the gospel had a place in politics and that, yes, Christians should be, in fact, we're called to be embedded into every aspect of society uh, wherever the Lord plants us. So I want to say the ultimate implication of the Christmas story is actually worldwide reformation. It's the restoration of all things. It's right there in Joy to the World. It says, 
He comes to make his blessings flow. What? Far as the curse is found. So as far as the curse of sin, that, that what the process that started in the Garden of Eden, when when Adam fell, first Adam fell, you know, when, when last Adam came, it began the reversal process of that, you know, to the point that song goes on to say where where heaven and nature sing. So he rules the world with grace and truth and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Now think about that statement. That statement is saying that through the rule, through the governmental rule of this Jesus that came, this king that came, it would actually it would actually result in heaven and nature singing. And, and, and it would make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It means nations, at the end of the day, because of, because of this first advent of Jesus and everything that was released at that point in time, that actual nations would glorify God in the way that, they, in the, way that the planet was managed, in the way that people were, in the way that justice was meted out. It's a far-reaching, transformational gospel. And I just think we, we honor the king by by really, maybe this Christmas for the first time, unwrapping the full gift. Yes, he came to be my personal savior. I'm forever grateful. And and we all should be and will be forever. But he also, you know, scripture says that that he gave, we all know that John 3.16, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes shall have everlasting life. But he also says in Ephesians that he gave him, same giver, same gift, he gave him as head over all to the church, which is us, his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So I would say maybe we haven't fully unwrapped the present of what of what actually what God gave us in the Son. He didn't just give us a savior, he gave us a king, and then he gave us a place as kings and priests, as the body of Jesus, for the purpose really of giving us back to the world to be the salt and the light and the leaven on this earth. Maybe the best gift we could give this Christmas would be to say, Lord, I will receive, first of all, the fullness of the gift that you gave, that you gave one to be head over all, and then you gave him to us, and you called us and made us kings and priests. And now we give ourselves to you that you would deploy us and that you would that you would send us into every aspect of the world, every aspect of culture, and yes, preach the gospel. We want to see people say, we want to see, I, I'll, never, I'll never outgrow the joy of the moment when I first received Jesus as my Savior on a very personal level, and everything changed in my life. But maybe we haven't fully received and engaged in the process of being the kings and priests so that he can continue giving his son in the sense through us as his body as we go into the world and, and he raises up William Wilberforces and he raises up everyday sons and daughters like you and me that simply go into our daily life with, with a more intentional and a more uh, acute awareness of, of really who we are so that, so that he can be glorified. We're the planting of the Lord, the oaks of righteousness, that he may be glorified. So join me this Christmas in and yes, welcoming the babe, but let's also welcome the king. You know, um, the little drummer boy says, you know, I, we have no gift to bring, pa pum pum right? 
But I would challenge that. That was before the cross and resurrection, but we do have a gift to bring. We, we have ourselves to bring. We, we have a lot to bring to the table because of what he's done. He's made us kings and priests. And he's equipped us and he's filled us with himself. And we, we, you might say that we are God's gifts to the world. As Jesus was the gift to the world, then he, re, he gives us as gifts to the world. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So let's offer ourselves this year, maybe freshly to the King of Kings as his kings to be mightily used of him in this coming year. And I, I pray that your Christmas will, will never be the same, that you'll increasingly year by year, you'll gaze upon a king and then you'll gaze upon a world that desperately needs a king. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic Christmas and that your 2023 is full of kingdom surprises and goodness. God bless.